beloved, you are now tuned in to Three Black Men, a podcast by three black men where we talk about theology, culture, and the world around us. The following content may not be suitable if you ain't real enough. Listener discretion is advised because real recognize real. Here's the hope when we look familiar. are the two black men as part of the larger collective <laughs> of the three black men welcome 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 uh y'all we have a special guest yeah <laughs> oh, man. y'all know we've been having some good guests uh we've only had good guests but only we've turned up the heat um this, this season uh, is elite i feel like season. yeah truly uh, i mean all of our guests are great. yeah this season yeah. is yeah yeah, I'm excited, mm. especially with mm. the theme and the guests that we have. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, mm. Rob. <laughs> yeah, so we have Dr. Quantrilla Ard. Thank you for being Yay. here. Yay. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Mm, no, uh, thank you. I, whew, I started following you on Twitter at the beginning of the pandemic, and I was like, hmm, the insights. <laughs> the insights both uh practically spiritually medically i was like wow uh yes so you you are a renaissance woman you you're creative you're a writer you're a literary agent you're a doctor that's right going that's like, the show to you're a mom you're a wife i was like whoa <laughs> you better so uh it's a pleasure to have you here Oops. truly yeah no problem i i wanted to start off uh just with uh a bit of fun uh as we get ready to talk about some different thing um tell us two things what's your favorite book right now that you can just name off the top of your head and what's your favorite song Oh, goodness. Um, My favorite book. Now, I am prepared to answer this question, but I need you to know that, like, it's so hard for me to choose. I have a three-way tie. Oh, okay. Give it to us. Give okay. <laughs> Way to subvert the question. I like it. Yeah, yeah. But it'll give you a little insight into my mind and, like, the list that you just went down. You'll know why I'm, I have three top favorites, right? So the first one is Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. The second one is The Shack by William Paul or Paul William Young. I can never remember which one comes first. Mm. And then the third one is Stacey Abrams' book, her memoir, her most recent memoir. So those are like the top three, Mm. way high. And then honorable mention is Medical Apartheid by Harriet Washington. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, wow. you know, it's like so many. Issues. I love that the layers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. The layers on layers. It's okay. So your song. Okay. This um, might be layered song. too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do have one favorite song. Um, it would have to be "You Are My Sunshine," and it's so mm. weird. It changed. It shifted. It used to be I just called to say I love you because my mom 
would call and leave a voicemail on my phone for my birthday every year. And so she passed 20 years ago. And so that used to be my song. But then I had my daughter. Mm-hmm. Now I used to sing You Are My Sunshine to her to, to sing her to sleep every night. So now that is my new favorite song. Okay. I love that. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I I had um that's a segue into uh this season we are talking about liberation mm-hmm. and uh really going into depth about all the different ways we can experience freedom in society, things mm-hmm. that we're looking to change in society uh individually, spiritually and different things. And when we thought of this topic, we thought of you to talk about, you know, how could we talk about liberation without talking about black women, black women's stories, black women's bodies, and your expertise with black maternal health and your own story. And so the the first question that I would have for you is, um, can you tell us just a little bit about your journey into becoming a doctor and even the specific focus with black women's bodies and, and protecting them? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think I really enter the issue of Black women's health because I was raised by strong Black women. And it's not to say that I didn't have a father in the home. I did. But there was something about the presence and the gravitas of these Black women that I was so connected to that I knew whatever I did end up going into, it would be something that involved women's health, right? And specifically Black women's health. And so that really carried me um, until my first graduate degree where, you know, we kind of had to figure out, well, what are we going to do this thesis on? Um, And one of the things that I was very familiar with was breastfeeding. So that was really my um, graduate level entree into Black women's health, um, specifically looking at how are women who are on like social programs, how are they breastfeeding? And of course, you know, I have to figure out what's going on with my Black and brown mamas. So that was really something that grounded me in the research and grounded me in the field of maternal health. And then when I decided to continue my education and get my doctoral degree, I knew I wanted to do something a little different um, because I went from getting a master's in public health to getting a doctoral degree in health psychology. So I wanted to do something a little different that focused a little more on behavioral aspects of health And so during that season, I found out I was pregnant. And so (laughs) I had my own journey with maternal health and my own journey with uh, negative birth outcomes. And so it was just natural for me to lean closer into, you know, these root causes of why black and brown women are dying at such disparate rates. And Mm. um, it, it was something that was born out of, you know, my passion for black women's health. But now there's a personal story attached to it as well. So yeah, that's kind of mm-hmm. how I got into it. Um, and I'm so glad that I am here. You know, a lot of times we look at people who put Black maternal health on an agenda or, you know, there's this, okay, well, what are we going to focus on this administration? Right. But, you know, right. I, I'm true to this thing. I've been doing this for a long time. So, you know, oh, not new to this. I'm right. true to this. Let's right. go. <laughs> this, is not, I, I, you know, this is something that I have been 
very passionate about, very vocal about for at least a decade, if not longer. Yeah, um, I think this is really dope. Um, when when we first started talking about it, I I was sharing with Rob like my my sister had a similar, a very similar experience, and that's when I really learned how common it was for Black women, um, especially when uh my wife Kwani got pregnant. Um, one of the things that she repeated to me was advocate for her, oh. advocate her advocate for her and that's something that I still carry even to this day outside of that but um she was really big for advocating for her so can you like just speak to just the importance of um being black women being heard in those just because like we're talking life or death but I don't think people people really understand how much likely black women are to die in childbirth or just in carrying a child. So um, could you just speak to, to that a little bit? Absolutely. So, you know, let's start off with the stats, right? So Black women are three to four times more likely um, to die in childbirth or pregnancy-related um, complications, right, um, as compared to their white counterparts. And let's talk a little bit more about the babies, right? The babies are two to three times more likely to die within their first year of life as well. So we have these two uh, co-occurring issues, right? And they're intimately connected, right? This, the mother and yeah. the baby, the birthing person and their baby are intimately connected. And so I got into advocacy mainly because my story was wrapped in advocacy. Um, I ended up having my first son due to uh, severe preeclampsia, I had him uh, four and a half weeks early. And so, you know, here I am going to a regular prenatal visit and I end up getting admitted because my blood pressure is so high. And throughout the entire experience, wow. I continuously said, well, you know, something doesn't feel right. Or, you know, I can still feel y'all touching me or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. different things. And I felt like I had to keep asking them questions as opposed to them saying, okay, Mrs. Art, this is this, this is this. And the right. fact that I had such a life-threatening illness, you would have thought that people would have been like, oh, well, let me tell you this. Volunteering the information, right, yeah. That was not my experience. I had wow. to for everything. I remember the nurse coming in and wrapping the bed rails of my hospital bed. And I said, well, ma'am, what are you doing? And she's like, you know, you may not feel like it right now, but you are very sick. So if you have a seizure or a stroke, we have to protect you and wrap these bed rails so that you won't knock yourself out. First. And nobody warned you that this, like that you were, had gotten to this point. Like mm -hmm. you had to ask all of these questions to just to even know that. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, and so, I, you know, and I, I, at the, at the time this happened, you know, I'm a well-educated got good insurance, you know, I'm living a relatively very comfortable life, but here I am in this position and I'm being treated as a black woman, not wow. as a human being who has a life-threatening condition. Mm -hmm. And so I kept asking questions. And at one point I began to kind of withdraw because I felt like I was bothering them. I felt like I was getting on their nerves and 
one of the things that I had promised myself was that I wasn't going to go in there at crazy, right? But as I review that story, I realized that a lot of us, a lot of Black women specifically have this rhetoric in our head that we can't show up in certain spaces as our true selves because we don't want to be termed as an angry Black woman or right. we don't want to be treated differently because we're, you know, acting mm-hmm. differently, right? Mm-hmm. And so wow. I was asking all these questions and then all of a sudden I stopped because I didn't want anything to interfere with the care that I should have been receiving. So I was terrified to ask any more questions. Now y'all, here's where it gets bananas, okay? Well, that's already, this, I'm sorry. This already, already bananas. Like, I don't know if it's <laughs> yeah. This is where it's gonna turn the corner yeah, to bananas. Absolutely. No, you're in, you're in there. This is, yeah, this is already <laughs> insane. So I'm sorry, I don't, just, I don't wanna make light of no, 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 you're right. It's already insane. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, we're taking it up another notch, right? Yeah, yeah. So we get to the point where my delivery is not progressing. Now, mind you, my doctor has already said, oh, don't worry about your delivery. The baby's small. You should be able to push him out. Okay. That's, that's the doctor. Then my anesthesiologist is like, oh, she's very sensitive. I mean, can somebody tell me what's going on with my body? Like, birthing a baby is painful right so if I'm reacting in pain guess what I feel pain so we get to the point where you know I'm just like I can't I can't deal with this anymore so I'm just I'm quiet and they say your baby's not progressing we're going to put you on Pitocin now I did know that I didn't want the whole you know harsh contractions so I requested an epidural Now, the issue is, you know, I said I have this preeclampsia, which is really, really high blood pressure um, while you're pregnant and while you're delivering. And so the issue was my son had gotten used to that high pressure environment, right? So now anything that's going to change my blood pressure is also going to affect affect that internal environment. So I get the epidural and my blood pressure drops. But now my baby goes into crisis. So I'm like, oh no, what's gonna happen? The next thing you know, my husband's like, girl, they're about to give you a C-section. He's a medical professional, you know, he's trying to, you know, hold himself together, but he's like, they're about to come do a C-section. So I said, okay, at this point, I'm so tired, I don't even care. And they come in, everybody's just doing stuff. Again, no one's talking to me, no one is is preparing me for anything. They just come in and they just start handling my body, and no one's telling me what's going on. And so they put this epidural in my back and I'm telling them, okay, you know, I can still feel something. And that's when the guy's like, oh, she's very sensitive. Okay, all right. Again, not saying anything. But it gets to the point where I have to have an emergency C-section because of this shift in blood pressure. And I said to them, am I supposed to be numb? And they're like, oh yeah, you won't feel anything but pressure. I said, okay, okay. I think I know the difference between pain and pressure. And I kept telling them, I can feel something. I can feel people touching me. I feel it all. And they're like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's just pressure. Now, y'all, I get in that operating room. Now, I want you to know that I am in a hospital. You know, people are very quiet and kind and, you know, just doing what they're supposed to do. But I get in that operating room and I feel them cut me open. And I think I screamed 
if I didn't shut that whole hospital down because it was just, it was one of the most unreal. I literally was like, am I watching a movie, a horror movie at that? And I'm the main character and I don't want to be in this movie. Mm. And so finally someone says, oh my goodness, she can feel that. Well, yeah, that's what I've been saying the entire time. I can feel this. I feel somebody touching me. I feel this, blah, blah, blah. So at some point they decide, you know, let's just knock her out. Let's just finish this C-section because at this point, both my life and my son's life is in danger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thank God that we both survived, that we're both healthy. But in that moment, when my voice was not heard, in that moment where I was dismissed and silenced and overlooked, I decided from that moment on that I was going to be the loudest person in the room when it came to advocating for my body. And I knew that I had to help other women do the same because they probably felt like, well, gosh, let me not say anything. I don't wanna be seen as that patient, that crazy black lady over in 4A, you know? No, it's your body. And if you don't speak up, if you don't say something, you will not be treated better than a side of beef in a butcher house. I think there's so many sad elements that I I feel hearing that, right? I think about your voice being diminished. I think about your body being handled without reverence and care, right? Like I I think specific thoughts about that, right? Mm -hmm. And I think about what it's like to have to diminish oneself so that you can get, you know, get through this uh, life or death procedure. And I think that that is so vile because Black women, you know, you, Black women were worthy of being cared for in that moment. And and just thinking about all the times that Black women have to, you know, be less of themselves so that they can get the bare minimum decent treatment. Um, That's horrifying, right? Like, that's horrifying to think, okay, I want, I don't want to be that angry black woman. We're not, (laughs) this isn't Arby's y'all. This is like, we're in, we're, we're at a hospital, right? Like we're trying to birth a baby here, right? Like I shouldn't have to think, okay, if I talk out of turn, um, they might not give me the right stuff. That's wild. And then I think about all of the, the black women who are in that position, who don't know to ask those questions. Or who have lost their lives because they didn't know what was happening to them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and you know what? I think for not only that, like to, like Rob said, there's so so much that 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 really makes me um, really angry, um, really angry uh, just about how the medical system works. Mm-hmm. Um, I know like dealing with postpartum as well is a thing in that so like how did how how did that and how did that traumatic experience along with postpartum was that you know like compound trauma then or like how were you able to to really kind of deal with that um yeah, uh, it, it was um 
one of the ways I think I had to push through was I knew I had to survive to take care of my baby. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, my focus was, again, do what you got to do to get out of here, right? Say yes, uh, take all the pills. And and mind you, my preeclampsia, my blood pressure was so bad that I was in the hospital for an additional six days. They could not get my blood pressure down. And I didn't even see my son till almost 48 hours later because I couldn't get out of the bed. I was a fall risk due to the magnesium that they give you to keep you. It's a muscle relaxant to keep you from having seizures and all that kind of stuff. And so in my head, I was like, I can do this just long enough to get out of here and to take my baby home. Mm. And then once I got my baby home, my mindset was, keep him alive, right? Like do what you have to do to get to the next part of this journey. And so while I didn't specifically deal with um, PTSD, you know, postpartum um, or or postpartum depression or any other of those um, pregnancy mood disorders or postpartum mood disorders, the trauma of what my body experienced and the trauma of what my 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 emotions and and my identity experienced that took a lot longer to heal right because you know they tell you oh six weeks later you're healed up i don't know if i believe that like that's you literally had everything stripped away from you and you were just a body and like when you were describing that it it really put me in the mind of how historically black bodies were experimented on Mm -hmm without permission yeah and you literally just had to lay there almost like an experiment and you sorry I'm sorry go ahead that's it no you're you're absolutely correct right and and I feel like some of that historical trauma that I very much feel is stored up in our DNA it reared its head right so I'm pushing through generational trauma I'm pushing through my own personal current trauma just to keep myself and this little four pound baby alive and so, I, oh go ahead mm-hmm. I'm sorry I, I was so in thinking uh in terms of like liberation right and freedom mm-hmm. um in because I I, I can't imagine I can't imagine I mean other than the fight the, the will to survive for your children right and for yourself um were there moments, was there something that you found that you could say, okay, well, here is what freedom would look like in this situation. And you, you went after that, like, were you able to get a clear picture? Are you still kind of getting a clear picture of what freedom from this sort of trauma and experience looks like for you? Yes. Yes. That is a great question. For me, freedom is attached to storytelling, right? Storytelling for me, is that mechanism of both advocacy and liberation. Because what happens is whenever someone experiences a traumatic birth experience, it's like it dehumanizes them. It dehumanizes this beautiful, natural, like embodiment, right? 
And whenever you tell your story, whenever you share your story, whenever you speak up or advocate on behalf of someone else in this space, it rehumanizes this birthing experience. And so for me, freedom looks like me sharing my story to you know, mitigate bias and stigma, to change systemic racism within obstetrics and gynecology, right? Say like that, yeah. If I don't tell my story, I feel like I won't be free. And wow. then if I'm not free, how's my sister going to be free next to me, right? Mm. We're all connected and, and we don't want to be connected, right? We don't want to be in this fellowship of suffering, but this is where we are, right? And mm. I feel like my freedom is attached to my story. And every time I tell my story, I get a little more free, which is why I advocate for other people to do the same. Other mm. black and brown mamas, other black and brown birthing people, share your story. Because you never know how it will impact the next person, right? Mm -hmm. And if they look at you and say, oh my goodness, you know, this happened to them. And now here they are, you know, speaking out and affecting change. Then maybe I have a little more courage to speak up for myself when it's my turn. Because now mm -hmm. we have a situation where, you know, Black and brown mamas and birthing people, Black women are terrified to give birth, right? So now we have yeah. this pendulum swing in the opposite direction where birth used to be beautiful and, you know, little black girls couldn't wait to grow up and become mamas. But now folk are like, mm, I'm mm. good. You know, like, mm. so I, I want us to reclaim that joy, to reclaim mm. that birthright. But it only happens if we get to share our stories and, and believing that our stories matter enough to actually impact change. Mm, I, yeah, yeah, I I love that. I I was thinking as you were talking that um, our ethnicity alone, our social location should not be the barrier mm -hmm. to being to being able to have uh, a family, right? Like yeah, yeah. black women, there isn't anything genetically that's saying you can't have children. We okay. there are these systems in place, these biases in place that are actually making it hazardous to, mm -hmm. um, you know, birth children. And, and so I appreciate your work uh, in, in advocacy and in telling your story uh, in your advocacy. I was thinking also, um, how does your faith play into this work that you do, how you think of the body? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm curious. Well, it's uh, funny you should ask that because my first son, you know, this whole situation, this, he was born on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it was so funny before he was supposed to be born in January, but you know, a little <laughs> early. Um, but it, I, I distinctly remember watching some type of nativity story. And I had y'all, I had a whole moment. I did. I had an experience because I felt connected to this young woman that God was literally bringing salvation through her body. And here I am carrying this, this person of my own and thousands of years separate us, but the same birthright she had, I had, right? And so I'm thinking of this and 
you know, in my head, I'm like, okay, this is going to be this great spiritual experience. And unfortunately it was not. Um, but my faith really inspired me to, to really, I, I think not place a lot of the onus on individual people, right? Because I know that they are part of a system and systems are connected to, you know, um, principalities, right? And so I know that one of the ways the enemy tries to get in and to destroy the people of God is through these systems, right? And so I knew that if I could just allow God to speak to my heart and to, to really thank him for believing in me enough that my survival story would be both a stepping stone for my faith and a stepping stone for other people to follow. So really that's how it's connected. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, I was calling Jesus' name the whole time. <laughs> Before Sam, Rob, and myself were podcast co-hosts, we were friends. This podcast grew out of a friendship. And honestly, it's grown into something more of a podcast. It's now a community. You can take part in that community at patreon.com slash three black men, all the way spelled out. And in that community, you'll get early access to episodes, bonus content like writings, videos, even some live conversations that you can take part in. In the event that you'd like to support us but aren't ready to commit to Patreon yet, you can submit a one-time gift via PayPal, where you'll find us at threeblackmenpodcast at gmail.com. However you choose to support, we're thankful that you did. Let's get back to the show. But, it, you know, mm. I, I know that my faith held me together. Yeah. And in those moments where maybe I just, I, I fizzled out, right? Like in those types of experiences, you are just literally so close to breaking. And my faith really held me together. It was the glue that helped me to get to the next milestone. So... Mm. I thank God for for a faith that did not fail in those mm. moments. Mm. Mm. Oh, the other piece. Let me tell you all the other piece. Yes. So the Come other on. piece of this is, you know, in in the grander, you know, larger scheme of Christendom, right? This Black bodies and and birthing, negative birth outcomes was really an issue for me in the church because no one was talking about it. No one, you know, was really shining a light. And this was, you know, a lot of how I think people really came to hear about my story was that, you know, we were going through this pandemic and we were going through this, this social justice situation, all of this, th these things were kind of converging at once. And so a lot of people were like, well, can you give us uh, a little help on how we as the church should kind of be concerned about these types of things? And I was like, oh, absolutely. But don't get offended. Right? Yeah. You're <laughs> like, I'm going to talk to y'all. But yeah, <laughs> you're not going to like it. Keep it cute. <laughs> <laughs> like this thing is rooted in, they're like, well, why do you think, you know, Black women are dying? And because of racism, right? <laughs> it's not race. 
it's not because I'm black. It's because I happen to be a person of color living and showing up as a person of color in these spaces. And if you as a Christian cannot see your brother, your sister, their family, their extended family as someone to fight for, we are going to continue to see these, these maternal mortality rates grow, these infant mortality rates grow. Because it is a, it is a, a concern Absolutely. for people of faith. If you are a Christian, you should believe in social justice, right? If yeah. that is your banner, that you are flying, waving your banner, I'm a Christian, then you should have some sort of compassion for your Christian brother and sister. And the issues that affect your brother and sister should affect you too. Say that. Yeah. Say that. yeah. I, I wanted to ask, um, uh, just shifting gears a little bit. I wanted to ask, so I know, I, I mean, because I have Black women, women in my life that have had very similar experiences. Um, you know, I, I always try to, uh, encourage if you know the dad or whoever is around during that time listen make sure the doctors listen yeah make sure they listen to her if they don't hear her you you repeat what she said mm-hmm. just literally be an echo mm-hmm. of everything she says you say it too uh it's how my sister drilled it to me she was like if you don't know what to say ask her <laughs> talk about it beforehand she listens she will tell you what she needs you know what listen to her she gonna listen to her body um so I wanted to ask like for I know you do a lot of work in this area are are there any maybe like resources that you may have that you could point folks to to kind of like help bring awareness or if there is um if there are black mothers that are experiencing some sort of um traumatic through the birthing not necessarily whether it be through the birthing process or just through the carrying process um are there resources for them to be able to reach out for help or or anything to yeah um so i am a huge um champion of education right um a lot of the education that people get like either you know preconception or even in like prenatal visits and stuff it it's just the basics, right? It doesn't really give you the meat of what you need. So I always tell people, find a local uh, community-based organization that is already serving this population, right? If you are someone who is in need of, and specifically why I do this, why I say this is because I truly believe that while you know medical birth is is fine for most it is not necessarily fine for people of color right and for me when you expand your birthing team outside of the hospital setting and, and research shows this as well black and brown people tend to have better outcomes so midwives doulas right birthing centers, right? And even if you choose not to use a birthing center, they will have resources, right? Mm-hmm. And so will community-based organizations who are gearing their services toward either people of color, marginalized people, 
um, you know, birthing people of all orientations, right? All of us need protection. All of us need protection. And so any of those community-based organizations, whether they be, you know, national organizations or local uh, community-based organizations, those places are always going to be your best bet for getting the information that you need to feel confident going into whatever type of birthing um, plan or situation that you desire. Um, and if you know, if you really want to have better outcomes, examine your birthing team. Examine, mm. expand your birthing team. Mm. I wanted to uh, switch gears just a little bit. Uh, speaking to the the multi talents that you have, uh, <laughs> what they like, yo, all the colors of the rainbow. Uh, <laughs> like, about to get a divinity degree in a second. I don't know, uh, <laughs> and an MFA too. We don't hey. know. Um, so. <laughs> You're this author, you're creative. You just had a publication um, in the journals and Sage Journals, I believe. Um, talk to us about this writing piece, this creative piece. You're like, you're. how does that interplay with, with you, who you are? Like, where did that come about? And you're doing both of these mm -hmm. things simultaneously. So, yeah. um, so I, you know, I'm a storyteller, right? And, mm -hmm. and I feel like storytelling just is that common thread of really among amongst everything that I'm doing, whether it's, you know, working with people for publishing, whether it's, you know, advocating for mater maternal health, you know, um, I also have this um, community for people who are experiencing grief and loss and, you know, my own creative work, all of it, the, the, the binding tie is storytelling. And I remember like my earliest memories are of creating stories, um, just writing things in books, you know, maybe it didn't make sense, but I, I knew that the way I was wired, the way I was created was to use words, was to craft narratives and create stories that move people. And so every time I do it, whether it's, you know, academic writing, technical writing, creative writing, anything I do, it is covered in that creative process. And of course, sometimes you have to use different words here and different words there, um, but it is that is just a part of who I am. And so, you know, one of my challenges has been um, in different spaces, right? To have to uh, modify my voice, right? To, to fit the space, but it is not something that, um, that I can't handle. So, Mm, I want to say you're so inspiring in that way and uh you know especially like for myself right I getting involved in academia and beyond uh is overwhelming there are not a lot of people um in academics and beyond who are black who are doing the type of things that I find inspiring um, who have a, a foot in the, um, in that academic space, right. Um, and can do that technical writing, but also have this heart, um, you know, this worshipful heart, uh, this creative heart. Um, I did, I didn't have 
a lot of models. <laughs> Honestly, I don't have those. And so even though we're in two different fields, you have been inspiring in that way and uh, letting me know that I don't have to choose one or the other, That's right. um, that I can really have all of those things, right? Because, you know, I am a worshiper and a contemplative and I am, right, this creative writer and I am, right, like got this, you know, piece, this academic piece and I can do all and I can do it all unto I want people to be free. I want people to experience liberating stories, right? Liberating the way that I write academically is a little bit off the beat pad too, but I, you know, I'd be trying. So you're inspiring. I, I do want to tell you, you're inspiring in that way. And I, I know you may not think about that, but there are black people behind you, not even just black women. Uh, we are behind you needing other models than that are presented to us. I want to, I want to ask a question um, to, and honestly, both of y'all could, could answer this um, just because Rob, you have some inspiration that you, you can, that you draw from uh, our friend here. Uh, um, <laughs> so I, if you, if you don't, do you find yourself feeling like if you don't write in those different spaces, if you don't contribute in those different ways, do you find yourself feeling like you um, can't really bring your full self to the table uh, in other areas if you're not necessarily pushing yourself up? You get, does that make sense? Is that, uh, do you feel like it's a piece of you, uh, now that you've discovered, right, mm -hmm. that you like to do these things, I, let me word it like that. Uh, do you find it that if you don't, um, you maybe you feel sort of bound in some way that you're not really bringing your full self to the table? Is that? I mean, I definitely do. Um, I was just telling someone earlier today that, you know, if I weren't able to fully exercise all of those areas of my brain, all those areas of my giftedness, I would not feel like I am actively pursuing what I'm here on earth to do and I know sometimes people can't understand that because they're like well you're over here and you're over here and you're over here but I, I don't know how to explain it like I have to do these things because it's the thing that keeps me up at night right it's the maternal health it's the grief it's the writing it's the storytelling it literally keeps me up at night and if I don't do it then I won't feel like at the other side, on the other side of that dash that I've done anything that I'm supposed to do. So, mm. Robert, you go ahead and answer. Mm. Wow, this is this is turning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, listen, <laughs> I think two things I was thinking as you were talking. Um, I, I, I think of this quote from uh, Katie Cannon, um, you know, do the work your soul must have. Mm. And I really, really, really take that seriously. Like I am about that work that my soul must have. And so with that, there are many limbs on that tree. I care about the grief. I care about helping people um, get through life in a soft way. I care about um, redefining masculinity in a way that centers softness um, and care, tenderness and love. I, I care about uh, bridging the gap between uh, the theological 
uh, elite <laughs> and regular regular people mm-hmm. um, so that we can be about the work of liberation, right? And I, I think I care about the souls of people in that way, not to convert them. I'm like, y'all, people need to breathe <laughs> during the day. Um, I care about that work. Um, and so all of that is the work that my soul must have. And I feel when I'm not doing that, I feel less me. I also feel the burden. I don't know. We didn't talk about this, but I feel the burden of being black in those spaces. Um, uh, you know, you, you alluded to it earlier, like I had to change how I'm speaking and truth be told, part of my liberation work is I want to change that too. Um, I want to dismantle a lot of things, even even when it comes to writing, when it comes to publishing. Like, why are we doing things that center um, white supremacy in ways that keep uh, folks out, you know, in academic spaces? I'm a storyteller, so you're not going to get a 15-page paper that's full of dry quotes from me. I'm going to tell a story. (laughs) and I will seem less educated but I know what's going on I'm just gonna do the work through story um and so I feel that burden of being black in spaces that are not designed for a black body (laughs) so I don't know I don't know if you have anything to that Dr. Art but I I do feel that pressure too I I have to name that um, I I, I 100% relate um you know and I and sometimes I feel like I have to go to those spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Because if yes. I don't open that door, who will? Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely mm-hmm. will. Wow. I have um, one more question. Um, as I as we think about this whole, this you know everything that we've been talking about, whether it's black women's bodies, black maternal, uh, black maternal health, these creative endeavors. I'm wondering if you have thoughts about how Black men can join in the work. Um, right now, truth be told, it is yes. depressing and bleak on the on the landscape. Yes. And most of the time, Black men aren't lifting up these uh, discussion topics. Typically, when you see Black men with a podcast mic, um, is disparaging Black women. <laughs> so, um, Not here, um, though. Yeah, not here. but just how can yeah. we join, you know, because this, this discussion is usually handled on a woman's podcast right. and how can we change that statistic to be advocates um, mm-hmm. along with you? Um, you know what, what, what you're doing, this is a step in the right direction, right? Creating tables where we can meet together. Um, and then some of that onus is on us too, right? Like, um, mm. because it's a bodily thing, we tend to hold it close, right? But, yeah. you know, I think of my husband who walked through this experience with me. He's very much a real part of this story as well. And so sometimes I, I wish that maybe men would not feel as um, othered sometimes you all can feel maybe othered, right? Because it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like there's a space for you, but there mm-hmm. is, there is. Mm-hmm. Um, keep asking, keep asking us to share our stories. Keep asking us to how you can enter into it with us. And then also, you know, on our side, we have to be 
willing to open that space up, willing to invite you in. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that um, my husband asked me to do during that traumatic birth, and I ended up having a miscarriage um, a few years later as well, was not to shut him out. Mm -hmm. And when I think back, the the foresight and the wisdom that he had to even ask me not to yeah. shut them out was mm. like oh it triggered something wow. said, oh i'm not here in this by myself you mm. know wow. i have a spouse who is also dealing with their own grief you know mm -hmm. their own mental capacity to deal with this loss and you know their anger and their trauma right because while I was bodily having this trauma, he was watching helpless, uh, right? Yeah, and he loves so you. I have to remember that this part, to have a partner here with me, right? And, and looking at men as partners rather than just the, the people on the periphery, I think really will help strengthen our resolve to get maternal health actually, you know, as a non-issue, right? Or maternal mortality as a non-issue. So just keep creating those safe spaces for us to share our stories. Um, keep, uh, what's the word I love? Amplifying, right? Amplifying mm. our stories and creating those safe spaces. I mean, I, I love the fact that this is the first time I'm having this conversation with Nate. Mm. Wow. And it's both touching that. and sad yeah. and touching and sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, you know, when we enter conversations about race and racism, right? A lot of times it's siloed. Either it's a whole bunch of white people talking, a whole bunch of black people talking. Rarely do you have safe spaces where black folk and white folk can come together. And I think this mm -hmm. is a similar type of thing, you know, when it comes to black maternal health and black maternal mortality, you have women talking and you have you know men talking very rarely do you have those two coming together to support each other so yeah um like, like I said earlier uh, when Rob first mentioned it this was something that was really important to me because like I I mean yeah I, I I've seen how serious it can be like my dad had a colonoscopy and when my sister had to have an emergency c-section in Atlanta I live in Orlando <laughs> Wow. My dad lives in Polk County, so he drove an hour and a half when he wasn't supposed to just so I could drive the other six hours to Georgia yes, to go to be there and support, you know, through a really bad situation. So I think it's very important um, for anyone who would consider uh, loving a Black woman. Mm -hmm. If you love Black women, um, I think this is very important. This is a very this and like police brutality to me are like really top two yeah. just because there, there's so much in the medical field um mm -hmm. that is racist that that we don't know about right and, and especially when it comes to this for black women so if you love black women if you have black women in your life listen to their stories and advocate for them that's right yeah. sometimes you have black women who cannot speak for themselves and yeah. we need 
someone to advocate for us. Absolutely. Mm. Dr. R, mm. where can we find where can we find you? Where can we connect? Where can, where we, can, get we, get the, where can we get this good? Where can we get these nuggets? Yeah. Where can we get this creativity? You're also a literary agent. So if people try to get signed, uh, you, what? Get out of you, you know, oh, so man. yeah. So, so give us, give us some details. Awesome. Yes. Um, you can find me on just about, well, let me not say all the social medias because I'm not on all. I was like, media. you got a TikTok? Let Listen, me find I, out. I, I do have a TikTok, but I don't know. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let me find out you're a movie producer. Okay, you be doing TikTok oh, dances. Say it. Hilarious. Go. I got a TikTok only because people kept sending me the links, and I couldn't figure out you how to watch them without. You got them. suckered. You got suckered. I'll never be on that. Oh, <laughs> so I am on most of the socials, okay? So I'm on Twitter as QYRD08. And then I am on Instagram. I have actually have three Instagrams because again, you know, got to have place for all the different things, right? So Kwani Boo is my personal um, Instagram. And, you know, I just put about just about everything on there. Um, but then my, you know, more professional side is the PhD mama with two M's. Um, and then I have the grief and loss community, which is it's all grief to me. Um, and so those are the main places I am. I'm on Facebook too, but the main place, I love Instagram. That's my favorite. Well, actually it's debatable. I think I like Twitter better because that's where I met my writing people, but I love them all. I'm on most of them. Um, and then if you're like, forget social media, um, I have a website, the phdmama.com, two ends. Yep. Mm, okay, that's, let me find out. I'm going to get to on that grief page actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. But thank you so much for your time it's always a pleasure interacting with you truly like whether it's online or you know seeing you face to digital face i appreciate you it's (laughs) always a joy to share the same spaces elite black women and and uh you know amplify their voice so i appreciate this uh this time you gave us today thank you so much (laughs) it was an honor truly an honor to be Mm -hmm. here Hey, I won't even hold you for this on the front burner. I, what am I loving? I am loving Drew Jackson's poetry. I have recently been introduced to him and hey, love it. Uh, Specifically his book, God Speaks Through Wombs poems on God's unexpected coming. So, yeah, that's on the front burner. We appreciate you rocking with us for another episode of Three Black Men. Here's the part of the show where we ask a favor from you. Now, earlier I mentioned a couple of ways that you can support us by joining our community over at patreon.com slash three black men We have multi-tiered support options, and you can get bonus content. If you don't want to do that, you can submit a one-time contribution by finding us on PayPal at 3blackmenpodcast at gmail.com. But we ain't here to tap your pockets. Here's a few ways that you can help us out without spending a single dime. You can stop what you're doing right here, right now, and make sure that you've left us a review and a rating. 
don't just give us the five stars. Go ahead and write out how much you love this show and tell everybody about it. Do it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you at. Make sure you leave that rating and a review, and that's going to help even more people join the fun over here. Thank you so much. I knew God loved you for some reason.